Thank you, Jenny. Well, good morning. If I haven't met you, my name's Jono, and I lead the ministry here at Harrington Park Anglican Church. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray as we come to think on this uh, great part of God's Word on this significant day. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you have spoken to us most perfectly through your Son. We thank you for your Word, the Bible, which points us and teaches us about him. We ask that you would give us a clear understanding of just who he is, that we would respond to you rightly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Christmas is a great time of year. Uh, it's a busy time. It's a hectic time. There's lots going on. We've got end-of-year functions and celebrations and family get-togethers, traditions, present buying, meal planning, holiday preparing. It's a great time of year. It's busy. It's also um, it's a great time of year because I mean the weather's warmer. Maybe it's too warm for some, but I love the warmer weather. The days are longer. The school holidays have arrived. There's cricket to be watched. There's public holidays to be enjoyed. It's a great time of year. And in amongst all of that is, is Christmas, this time where we celebrate the birth of Santa. I, I mean, sorry, um, of Jesus. Bit of, a, bit of a slip up there. But I guess I wouldn't be the first to make that, uh, that mistake to get those two muddled. I'm sure if you asked 100 kids, who is Christmas about, I reckon a good proportion of them would say Santa. But of course, others, uh, and I'm sure our kids would say, no, no, it's about Jesus. I mean, here we are on Christmas morning here in church. We know that Christmas is about Jesus. But who is the Jesus that we remember and celebrate at Christmas? Well, it's, it's, it's baby Jesus, meek and mild, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. Our Christmas cards, they depict this. There's lovely nativity scenes and the lowly, humble birth to Mary and Joseph, born in a stable with the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. And that's right, that's, that's good, and that's right. Jesus' birth was indeed humble, which is incredible when you consider who he really is. And here's the thing, we must consider who he really is because there's a danger that our picture of Jesus, the Christmas Jesus, that it's too small, that in our minds he is just a, a lowly baby born in humble circumstances a long time ago. Someone for us to, to tip our hat to and acknowledge amidst all the celebrations, all the get-togethers and holidays and at this hectic but enjoyable time of year. And it would be a grave mistake for us to do that because the Jesus that we meet in the Bible doesn't fit that small picture. He is much, much much bigger than that. And it's essential that we, that we grasp just who he is because his significance completely surpasses any other aspects of Christmas. And I want to say, if you've come here this morning to, to, to tip your hat to a religious tradition, I want to ask you to stop and listen. Listen to what God has to say in the Bible about just who Jesus is. Because the Jesus presented to us in the Bible isn't the, the cute baby in the manger. He is the awesome, conquering king who rules and protects and provides for his people. 
Uh, recent weeks here at church, we've been working our way through the book of Micah, written some 700 years before Jesus. And Micah 5, which we've just had read for us, what it does is it provides the backstory that we need in order to properly understand who this child is, this, this child that we remember and celebrate at Christmas. So look with me at Micah 5 as we, we see the backstory to Christmas. It's uh, in your Bibles or also on the screen. Uh, Micah wrote to God's people in Israel and Judah, and uh, God's people had rebelled against him. They were facing God's rightful judgment. It was, it was coming in the form of the Assyrian army, which had surrounded Jerusalem and had laid siege to it. And this is what we read about in Micah 5, verse 1. It says, Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Now, this took place in uh, 701 BC. The Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, surrounded Jerusalem and laid siege to it. But God miraculously delivered his people uh, from the Assyrians. Uh, in one night, he put to death 185,000 of the Assyrian troops and they retreated. God's people, however, continued to rebel against him. And so their salvation from the Assyrians was short lived. Uh, in 587 BC, about 120 years later, a new superpower, Babylon, swept through Judah, conquered Jerusalem, and led the Jews away into exile. Israel and Judah, God's people, were destroyed. Humanly speaking, the situation looked completely hopeless, but not according to God's prophet Micah. Because God promised through Micah that he was going to do something great. He was going to save his people. And he'd do it through a little place called Bethlehem. Look at verse 2 of Micah 5. It says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are, a small, you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old from ancient times. Bethlehem was the hometown of, of King David's father, Jesse. And God says here that, that he, he's going to go back to Jesse's roots and he's going to bring out of Bethlehem a new great king and ruler. God's people, they'd suffered a, a whole uh, long run of, of mostly dodgy kings who'd led them astray, who disobeyed God. But this king, he will be different. He will, as, as verse 4 says, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. This king who will come, he's going to come and, and be like a shepherd. He will protect and he'll provide for his sheep. He'll do it in the strength and the majesty of God himself. He'll bring security and his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. He'll be the great king over all the earth, says God's prophet. You can see why this would have been a, uh, an amazing message of hope for ancient Judas, threatened by the Assyrians. And this hope, this promise continues. Look at there at verse 5. It says, and he will be our peace. When the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses, we will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders, who will rule the land of Assyria with a sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders. 
He will be our peace. He will deliver us. Peace. Peace. It's one of those lovely Christmas sentiments, isn't it? Peace and goodwill. It's on our Christmas cards, in our shopping centres, even on our homes. Peace and goodwill to all. It's a nice idea. But maybe that idea of peace seems a little bit... uh, a little bit empty, a bit meaningless to us. I mean, on a large scale, we already enjoy a high degree of peace in Australia. Perhaps we feel we don't really need someone to bring peace. We've, we've already got it. Maybe that idea of peace, though, seems a little empty to us because so often on a smaller scale, we don't have peace. We have conflict with family, with Neighbours, with colleagues, with so-called friends and, and sadly Christmas get-togethers can, can sometimes just highlight that fact. We actually want someone to bring peace, to, to be our peace. And this king will, will do that. He will, he will be that. But notice also what this king will, will bring. He will bring the destruction of God's enemies. Verse 9, it says, Your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies, and all your foes will be destroyed. In that day, declares the Lord, I will destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. I will destroy your witchcraft and you will no longer cast spells. I will destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you. You will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will uproot from among you your Asherah poles when I demolish your cities. I will take vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations that have not obeyed me. God's king will bring salvation to his people, but will also bring the destruction of his enemies. And this promise would have been a great comfort to, uh, to God's people, Judah, in the face of Assyria, and then later on in the face of Babylon. But actually, God, God had something in mind far greater than Assyria or Babylon. Notice back in verse 4, it says, His greatness... The greatness of this king will reach to the ends of the earth. This is not just something relating to some kind of military squabble in ancient Palestine. This is a promise of universal significance for people of all time. Because this is the backstory to Christmas. It's interesting in Matthew's gospel, he begins his gospel his account of Jesus' life, he begins it with a genealogy. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he lists all of Jesus' descendants from Abraham onwards, and he concludes with this summary. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. What Matthew does is he grounds Jesus in the history of these promises, of these events, of Abraham, of David, of the exile. And then after Jesus is born, those, those magi, who we, we commonly call the wise men, they, they come to King Herod and, and they're looking for the one who has been born king of the Jews. And Herod inquires of the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, says, where, where will the Messiah be born? And, and they say, Bethlehem. 
And then they quote this passage from Micah 5, 2 to 4. They quote that out of Bethlehem will come a ruler. Matthew is telling us that Jesus has come to fulfill God's centuries-old promise of a ruler, of one who will shepherd and rule with strength, with majesty, one who will bring security and peace and who will deliver his people, one who will bring also the destruction of God's enemies. Who is Jesus that we remember at Christmas? He is the Micah 5 ruler. But in an even bigger way than Micah presents, because he didn't come just to save people from from the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Romans or secular materialists or social progressives or whoever we might think is threatening God's people. Jesus came to save his people, as that angel said to Joseph in Matthew one twenty one, to save his people from their sins. That is, Jesus came to defeat our greatest enemies, sin, death, the devil, He came to defeat sin and to bring us peace. Peace to those on whom God's favour rests as the angels announced to those shepherds that first Christmas. Peace with God. Being reconciled to God through Jesus' blood shed on the cross as Colossians 1 verse 20 says. Peace with God and therefore peace with one another. Jesus came as that great king and ruler that we all need. Now those mysterious magi from the east, they recognised this. When they found Jesus, do you notice what they did? Uh, They didn't get together and sing a few carols. They didn't throw a party and, and give presents to each other. They didn't tip their hats to the baby in the manger. No, it says, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, they bowed down and worshipped. They worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Perhaps mysterious gifts to us, maybe not the things that will be on our top ten list of gifts for babies, but gifts that are completely appropriate for someone who they recognise as the king, the king who would save his people from their sins, the king who would shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, who would be our peace through his blood shed on the cross and the one who one day will return to bring judgment and condemnation on all who reject him. The Magi bowed down and they worshipped this king. And in that, they model for us how we should respond to Jesus. That we should respond by humbling ourselves before him and worshipping him as our Lord, as our King, as our Saviour, saying to him, you're in charge of my life. I follow you. I trust you. That's how we should respond to this king. And if we do that, then in the words of, of Micah 5, we will live securely in God's eternal kingdom where his greatness will indeed reach to the ends of the earth. Friends, Christmas is indeed a great time. It's 
a great time to, to thank God for his faithfulness to his promises, to thank God for this ruler, Jesus, whose origins are of old from ancient times. It's a time to humble ourselves before him, to worship him as our king, to receive the peace with God that he offers and to live securely in his kingdom now and forever. I pray that each of us will see the the far-reaching universal significance of the one that Christmas points us to and that we will indeed bow our lives before him and worship him as our king, as our saviour, as our Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, the great ruler, come to shepherd and lead us. Come to bring us peace with you. Father, please forgive us for the the smallness of our vision of Jesus. Lead us to repent of our sin, to turn back to you and to bow down before you. Lord Jesus, help us to trust you and to follow you as our Lord and Saviour. And we ask this in your name. Amen.